Wishing you all a super warm welcome to Connecting with Purpose, where we connect with winners and thought leaders from multiple sectors to provide you with a 360 degree view on purpose. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Our purpose, to inspire you to unlock your potential and optimize your performance and impact. All right, um, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, Nell Derek Devervois, um, who's joining us for episode seven of Connecting with Purpose. Uh, Nell, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Oh, pleasure, Mark. So happy to be here. And lucky seven. I didn't know. That's that's even better. You are indeed. Yeah, which puts the pressure fully on me, not on you. Um, so for our for our listeners, um, we're we're going to pop um, Nell's. Uh, bio into the into the notes here it really is incredibly impressive some of the best educational institutions in the world um, and for the last um, 13 plus years um, has been the founder of um, Inspiring Capital which is an amazing organization how I know now um, that's that's doing some incredible work as a B Corp um, based in New York City with organizations um, all around the world changing you know changing the, the way we view um, capitalism and uh, all of the good things that we can actually accomplish together, um, all of which have been coincidentally grounded in purpose. And so um, we're really excited to have uh, Nell here. She's got a new book coming out, um, excerpts in the in the fall and uh, actually the full version um, being published for February next year. Um, so we're excited to hear her talk about that and learn from, um, from her experience and amazing career and, and the impact that she's had. So um, now, thanks again uh, for joining us. Total uh, pleasure. Thank you for that. As, kind, as, kind you, uh, as you, I think, are aware, um, being lucky number seven, um, <laughs> you're not the first person to get to dive into your your career through magic moments. Um, but um, as I said, we'll put the bio in the in the in the notes. But if um, if you could um, pick out three magic moments from your career. Um, and just to give you a little context on those or for anyone listening for the first time, um, we think of magic moments as being benchmark experiences. Um, if you were to give them a score upon reflection, you give them a 10 out of 10. Um, and that's because they were pivotal in, in your development in some way, in, in shape or form. Um, and the, the challenge for you is, is three magic moments. What was it um, that made those magic moments? What, it, what was it made the magic? I mean, if you have to give them a name, uh, what would you call them? I love this way of introduction. So thank you for the creativity. I I called them, uh, which we'll get to later, but I, I have three moments that I called me, we, and world. As you know, that's kind of our organizing principle that I think you all use as well. Um, and I realized that that was you know, that so many things came to mind, so many moments, so many stories. And so that was what I, I realized I could kind of use to organize. So the me moment uh, that I want to highlight was about four years ago, I had the chance to travel to Ecuador with some coaches and guides from the U.S. who partnered with some incredible local guides, uh, mostly indigenous in Ecuador, uh, around the Quito area uh, and up in the rainforest. And uh, it was, you know, just an incredible journey in so many ways of nature. Um, there was some 
rainforest medicine and and healing ceremonies involved in that time. Um, and it was just a, a really eye-opening two weeks about me on the me level, you know. And so um, specifically, we spent three nights in the rainforest. We had to hike in about 20 minutes to join this community um, who have been living there for 13 generations, I believe, was the timeline. Um, and they're part of the global, you know, seed collective of really trying to preserve the bio biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest. And they also practice plant medicine. And, and so we were able to do ayahuasca ceremonies with them for three nights in a row under this, you know, millennia old tree and with these amazing rainstorms and, and just out. Uh, and the connection that I got to nature, um, but also history and human globalness um, and my my true self was was just absolutely life changing. So that was my my me magic moment. It was a, a 12 out of 10, at least. <laughs> well, that actually is the highest score anyone's given one. So <laughs> you've, won that, that, you've won that competition without even knowing it. Number two is is the we level. And, and this was um, in the debrief of some work that we did with American Express, uh, gosh, three years ago, perhaps. Um, we were working with our B2B marketing team, which was having some challenges with turnover um, and engagement on what had always been a very purpose-driven and, and successful team, but they'd had some turnover in leadership. And so they came to us for some help. And so in the debrief, talking with the leadership team about what we had done, which was, you know, weeks of assessment, quantitative and qualitative, really going through their culture data and then doing our own research and then pulling together uh, some some training, some workshops and engagement programs for their team. You know, she she said that the, the work, the ahas and the transformation that we were able to do with this team were, in her eye, you know, about $500,000 worth of, of a McKinsey engagement, right? And here we are, this new, we were, it was one of our first B2B engagements. We started out really direct to consumer and then about, yeah, 2018 shifted to serve companies as well. And so to get that feedback was just, you know, really, um, validating and, and inspiring and, you know, of, of course, it had been all the way along for me. Be, I remember so vividly one of those sessions being in the room and just seeing these ahas pop up and and telling the leadership team this kind of root cause that we had diagnosed of this turnover and this cultural challenge that had really been driven by a rebrand at, at Amex that no one had dug into and been able to notice because they weren't asking these questions about purpose, right? About why do you show up here? What are you doing? And, and we were able to do that as you can probably imagine, on a much lower budget, unfortunately, than the value we barely <laughs> delivered. Um, but nonetheless, it was it, it felt really magic, you know, like, wow, there's a there there, you know, and, and motivating to keep doing the work. Um, question, have you, um, did you change your pricing structure after that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole nother podcast. I try to, you know, I, I we, we work on a very sliding scale, as you know, right? When we worked with you in your former life, that was not the kind of prices that we were talking about. But when we're dealing with corporates, we, we try to imagine, you know, what our competitors, which in some cases is a McKinsey or whatever. And, you know, it's it's just a whole different 
stratosphere as far as I can tell. Yeah, but yeah. You know, yes, we, we do try to really step up and, and value. I am big on value pricing, you know, and it's not about the cost and our hours or whatever. I, I could never dream an hourly rate for myself that would get anywhere near what I know people are willing to pay. But I, I know the value in that case. You know, there was one very specific potential departure of a relatively senior person that was averted, you know, and, and who knows how many others, right? But if the yeah. cost of, of turnover is 1 to 1.5x at that kind of mid-manager level, I know, you know, that that was a quarter of a million dollar salary probably. So, boom, there there's the value, you know. Exactly. Sorry, I'm taking you off track. No, is that was a good... We could have a whole podcast on value-based pricing. I love it's my it was my favorite class in business school. <laughs> um, and then the third is is on the world level, and this one actually goes back to about 1992. <laughs> and so that was the moment when I I was 12 years old and I was graduating from my urban elementary school in Hartford, Connecticut. And um, in the months leading up to this graduation, my, my mom primarily had realized that the public middle school that I was districted to go to in Hartford was essentially a war zone. You know, not only was it not a quality education, but it was rife with drugs and teenage pregnancy and violence and crime um, at, at the middle school level, right? So 13-year-olds and, and up. Um, and we, she had always been deep. We were all deeply embedded in our community and deeply committed to that. But at that point, she just wasn't willing to put my education on that path. And so um, I remember vividly, she said, well, there's some private schools. You can shop around and look at private schools or we can move. So I did visiting days or whatever at a few of the schools around. One was very kind of Montessori and hippie, you know, leftover. And the other was quite more traditional prep school headed to, to that whole world. And I came home and said, I don't want you guys to pay tuition. You know, let's just move. That feels too weird. So 12-year-old economics, not realizing that buying a house to move also has some economics <laughs> involved, but forgive me that, you know, but but I, I just, the, the private school thing didn't quite jive. And, you know, so again, a, a whole other podcast about public-private education in the U.S., but the point was that we moved. We, we moved 400 yards because that was over a town line. And now we were in the, the leafy green suburb, coincidentally, where my mom had grown up and my grandparents still lived. And I went off to public school there and there were guidance counselors and there was a peer mentoring program and there were 37 APs for me to choose from. And, and off I launched to Harvard um, and not to diminish my own effort and, you know, innate intelligence or parental support or whatever else and systematic privilege of being a white suburban female. But nonetheless, I saw my classmates go a very different way, you know, and so that was a, a really, it was a series of moments that that's less of, of an individual incident. Um, but it, it was this very profound firsthand experience that talent is absolutely distributed equally and opportunity is just not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, then there's, there's probably a book in that um, four, 400 yards to, to your future, right? I mean, it's just that little bit of geographic difference and a complete life-changing opportunity through the education that you were given from that point on. So arbitrary. Yeah. Because they didn't have that same opportunity and it's different situation, different surroundings, different people. Um, mm. Yeah, unbelievable. And, and I, I, you know, I'm super passionate about 
uh, trying to le level the playing field on those educational opportunities for young people in the small way that we were able to do it um, in my past life. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and obviously inspiring company, you've done some of that incredible work as well. Um, and we're going to we're going to dig into that um, in a little bit. But I I wanted to just go back to one of the things you said in the first uh, your very first magic moment, the me one, because you said that the connection to self was life changing. Um, massive, massive words, um, you know, so. Yeah, I guess what, where were you at? Um, where were you at in your sort of development there in terms of your career and, um, you know, your focus on purpose and, and everything else and um, all, all your education, depending on when when this was, but um, what was it that made it life-changing um, in terms of how you took that forward from that point on? This was now, you know, six months or eight months after, close, I, after closing the round. Um, nothing huge, very values-aligned investors, you know, so it certainly wasn't like, okay, great, now the hockey stick to IPO is, is you know, the clock is ticking. It was a bit more gentle than that, but more pressure than I've ever felt, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I like making money and earning money for my company and for myself and, and feel very comfortable reinvesting that. Um, but the pressure of having other people's money based merely on faith in me or the concept and the team felt very different. And it was, it was um, scary and stressful to me. And so I, I had been working with a coach before, during, and after the round, who I really valued and respected. Um, she had she built a lot of the really groundbreaking messaging for women's product at Nike around you know the goddess campaigns that they did, and then this very powerful early women's empowerment stuff. Um, and then decided that she didn't want to sell shoes anymore, went on her own purpose journey, and was now doing this coaching work, including um, with these partners in Ecuador. And so when she mentioned this trip, I was just like, yes. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I, I had barely sort of heard about ayahuasca in some kind of joke startup. I don't know. It was probably in one of the TV shows or something mocking Silicon Valley. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know the full agenda, but I just trusted her and I knew it was time for some work. So I show up um, for these two weeks and uh, and and just dove in. You know, again, I had no expectations, no background, um, really, except for trusting this woman and knowing I needed some help. And I think why it was life changing was because I just I, I saw and felt and heard from the various healers and experts and and coaches that we worked with this deep sense of true self and and the connectivity of that to the universe right and and that it, it's um we're not alone we're not you know isolated little atoms we, it really is so much deeper and broader than that and you know um we're on our journeys doing what we're doing and I, I do believe in autonomy and choice for sure and there's this bigger context and there's long history before it and there is brilliance in the natural systems that we could never hope to fully replicate right in our constructed human ways and so I think just having that knowledge that that awareness that feeling that knowledge forever I, I hope <laughs> certainly five years later it, it feels strong and vivid is something to come back to 
in all of the moments of challenge or fog or discouragement or frustration or trying to cover payroll or figuring out value pricing or losing contracts or winning scary, all the moments, right? That it just feels like this little star or or fairy or fire or something in my gut that is mine and and having that has been incredibly powerful uh, well th- thanks for sharing that and um because i think it's really powerful and in, in terms of just giving you that context and perspective right and it's really about perspective it's just giving you this massive perspective that enables you to put every little win or little um challenge into that context um yeah. And and it doesn't necessarily make it any easier to get through it at the time, but it but it enables you to to move on from it and to be able to connect dots back together again and not get lost and completely overwhelmed in something without that perspective because that's often when we get so sort of tunnel tunnel vision and I suppose um, it's it's actually a nice segue into your into your book um, not not that it's all about nature but about purpose and that I think. From my perspective, that purpose is this sort of both um, anchor and grounding force and foundational thing upon which we can build, but but yeah. also the North Star at the same time. And I always talk about it as being kind of both things. Um, that that um, if for nothing else provides you with some perspective to mm. the what and the how and 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 the day to day and the focus and how you live your life. Um, so. Um, your book, um, Going First, which is Finding the Courage to Lead um, Purposefully and Inspire Action, um, is about um, primarily purpose-driven leadership in a, in a capitalist world that, we're, that, that we live in. Um, and um, what, what, were some of the, um, what were some of the things, I suppose, key insights that you got from all these incredible interviews you've been doing with CEOs and, and, and other leaders um, that you, you've kind of learned from these people and that maybe provided you some perspective on leadership um, in a similar way to how that life-changing experience provided you with, with nature and the, the ecosystem that we live in. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, is just the meta learning, which is that the response and the willingness to talk about this from people has blown me away, right? So when the publisher um, greenlit it all last winter, the mandate was love the content, you know, all good. Yes, yes, yes. It's a great time for this. Um, now go interview a hundred CEOs or, or CXOs who are doing this, who, who lead this way so that you can really juice it and make it really actionable and, and concrete. So I said, okay, a hundred, that sounds like a lot. Well, Mark, we're on, I think, 112 with 35 more in the books and that's it's the ceo of accenture and figs and grove collaborative and seventh generation and ben and jerry's as well as you know black and bold coffee and and you know um water bear and you know these these smaller companies and and everything in between right so we just were like we 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 need to get all this input and information and and so have pushed out the schedule a bit more so um it just is so timely right post covid everyone thinks that there's such an opportunity right now to change and so they're really eager to share their learning their challenges you know um anyway so so that's kind of the meta thing that has been incredible um mm-hmm. it so so the book is called going first 
an invitation to find the courage to lead purposefully and inspire action, which is a bit of a tweak because that was one um, that was one aha that that solidified my thinking and talking to all these people was that it's it's hard, it is challenging, right? And and find the courage felt like a dare almost or or a challenge. Um, and while I feel that in some ways, what I actually want is this sense of invitation of like folks come on over like it is hard and it is different and so it it requires a different way of waking up in the morning and it requires some intention and effort which gosh knows is is you know we're all really strapped and stressed right now in terms of our attention and our willpower and our worry but there is such a good thing waiting on the other side in those me, we, and world dimensions, right? For ourselves, it's happier. It's it's less stressed. It's less anxious. It's more happy and, and balanced, you know? And then for our teams and for our companies, the research is there. Like, great resignation. You know what the best antidote is? Remind people or help people figure out why they're doing what they're doing at your company. For them, I promise they'll stay longer. I promise. Right. And and then the results are there also around financial performance, right? That companies that are plugged in to, to the factors that are material for their impact in the world do better in the long term. Right. So so there's that. Um, and then finally, the world. Right. We just heard code red. It's not OK. The climate is is on a really scary downward spiral. And, and some of that is a foregone conclusion. But there is a sensitive moment here when we can make a difference and and not send our grandkids off to Mars or, or I don't know, the mountains in, you know, constructed environments. I don't know what the alternative is. Um, and leading purposefully gets us to that really cool place. So, so yes, there's some challenge and there's some hard work that needs to be done to get there. Um, but it is so worth it, you know, in that deep happiness way. I, I just am writing, um, rewriting the piece around happiness and, you know, that purposeful leadership is not about being happy in like a cotton candy kind of way um, because it is hard and, and demanding and different. But it's happy in that Greek, like the the word in Greek is eudaimonia, which is this like deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's what leading purposefully gets you to. What we call the purpose fused formula, which is how we look at individual purpose more than the organizations where we go a a slightly different, deeper dive. But but we talk about purpose being uh, passion plus impact plus application. And and ultimately, if you look at the the intersection of those three, three, three circles and you're always looking at what are the things you're passionate about that also can have impact? And then it's kind of, well, so what? So what are you going to actually do that on a day-to-day basis or this month or this year? And how does it affect your personal life, professional life, you know, philanthropic, like how, all the different ways that you can show up in this in, the, in this way. But yeah. but the words, that the, the second dimension on that is, you know, is sort of like living the dream, it's fulfillment and it's happiness. And that it's not mm-hmm. just about happiness. It, so much of life is about meaning and and fulfillment's a big part of actually, you know, living with meaning and doing meaningful things because you do feel very fulfilled, but you, you probably feel happy as well, especially if you're doing things that you're passionate about. Um, so I, it's really cool to hear that that your um, your perspective on that is, you know, is, is similar to ours, but your perspective has been shaped by 112 C-level executives with another 35 on the waiting list. Um, what were, um, 
what maybe some without having name, name names or anything but i mean what were some things that surprised you um mm. some people said that you're like oh wow i was not expecting that or um aha moments or you know things like that that just were really profound or um impactful insights that people gave you that you weren't you just weren't prepared for yeah so you know good news i, I think there there weren't a ton of surprises i wouldn't say right it, it has really been this like just privilege and intellectual journey of refining consolidating connecting ideas that i've been having and seeing over the last 10 years most concretely it goes back pretty concretely to my master's thesis in 2003 you know so there's there's some history there but um so so it's just been amazing to see it converge and i, I think what's interesting about that is that you know, my deepest work has been with early career folks and then mid-career folks. And so hearing it now sandwiched at the CEO level is very cool because it just reinforces um, the, the point that I've always made, which is that this is so human. It's not a millennial thing. You know, it's not a senior life wisdom thing. It's a, it's a lifelong journey that applies to all humans, regardless of industry, regardless of, you know, I mean, the folks I talk to are all CEOs. So that's obviously a, a narrow group to begin with. But beyond that, the diversity is pretty bonkers, you know, in every way, demographic, but also, you know, thinking styles and geographic and, and size of company and stage of company and age. So that's been um, awesome, really, really powerful, I think. Um, another loud and clear thing uh, was that this really is simple. It's not easy, but it really is simple. And so, you know, it's, um, we talk a lot about, you know, start somewhere and perfect is the enemy of the good. Like one thing, one theme that keeps coming up is, is like the grandmother test, right? And so basically it's like when you go home, would you be happy to tell your grandmother or your grandkids or, you know, whoever that human is, what you did today and the decisions you made? Because kind of that's what it comes down to, right? I, I don't want to underestimate that the complexity of carbon capture and supply chains, and that's all very technical and real. But if you've got that core, simple sense of like, I would feel good sharing this decision with my grandmother, you're probably doing the right thing about carbon capture, you know, or hiring the right technical expert, whatever, whatever it might be. And I think the final thing just comes back to the, the title tweak, which is this notion that like, yeah, it takes effort mm -hmm. and it is so gosh darn worth it because of the power of what you can do and the the contentment and the the satisfaction and the calm really that you can feel as a result of of living and working in this way yeah no and um and every grandmother would support that i think grandmothers have got a lot to answer for actually because i think that you could also argue that um if you were to do your own purpose discovery work and then come up with a if you like a purpose statement which needs to have a bunch of other pieces to it but but that can be your kind of grounding statement that yep. that kind of needs to pass a grandmother test as well right um, like if she can understand that um she gets it and she's like oh good for you and you're like all right okay i got it right that's uh <laughs> that's good so yep. um so whether this is based on your own um your own thoughts because as you said you know you you obviously got an incredible academic background in Cambridge and Harvard and actually probably a bunch of other places but they were the two that really 
hit home to me. I was very, wow, well done, amazing. Um, but thinking about being a purpose-driven leader, whether it's like it's what your view has been that you've refined um, or whether there's just some common themes that have come through, um, you know, from the interviews you've had, what does what does leading with purpose um you know, mean, mean to, to now. Yeah, we, you know, we, we've really boiled it down. I, I talk all the time about my, my fellow Hartford resident, Mark Twain, right? Had the quote that if I had more time, I, I would have written a, sh- a shorter letter. Um, and so, you know, 10 years into the work with Inspiring Capital or 20 years into my thinking and studying about this, um, it, it's come down to this me, we world, right? And and so really we, we can define purposeful leadership as being really intentional about the impact of my choices and my behavior in these me and we and world dimensions. Yeah. Right. And um, and it, it absolutely starts, you know, one of our frameworks is a, a graphic image of it. And, and the base, the foundation is me surrounded by family and friends. Right. And it's very intentionally those elements of it because um, I'm just so clear and, and so many brilliant writers and thinkers are, are so clear about this idea that, um, you know, if if I and all the eyes around me, right? My colleagues, my family, my friends. But if I am not well, body, mind, spirit, nothing that I'm doing is going to be ultimately very, very, very impactful in the long term, right? You can kind of suck it up and grind or whatever, and and perhaps you know pay a few things forward in the short term, but long term it's not sustainable. Yeah. And so um, I think that's, you know, it's it, that's the second point of purposeful leadership is that it really does start with with the me. And that means, you know, baseline care, but it also means self-awareness and doing the work of like, what's my crazy? Right. We're all crazy. Like no questions asked. Right. And, and not to diminish. Obviously, there's there's clinical mental health categories that that are very real and serious but um but all of us are 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 unique perhaps is a a kinder word um and it's really important to know how you know how how are you unique because it matters you know and it's beautiful and as long as you're aware and managing for it and around it that's what we want i want you to be your most unique um I, i don't want you to just fit into the mold of what you should be um but it takes time you know we have such loud strong messages about what a leader is or what a professional is or what a good man or good woman or good you know um and so it, you have to do that peeling back of the onion and getting quiet and listening so that you have that me foundation. And then you can worry about your decisions on the we in the world levels. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I think that's why um, people are actually going through an intentional, well thought out purpose discovery process um, that isn't just about answering a few questions on the back of an envelope, but actually a deeper dive in, into self-reflection, self-awareness and um, and looking at other people's perspectives on how you got here and also fast forwarding probably to the end and looking back and what you'd be proud of um, is such a powerful thing to do and such a challenge, I think, for, for a lot of people to do when they get stuck in the sort of the grind of the day to day of work in, in what is an incredibly you know competitive world. Um, and we we both spent a lot of time in New York City, which is probably one of the base of competitive world. Um, and um as somebody that's been so interested in this for so long, you, you know, you essentially founded Inspiring Capital as an extension of your 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 me um, to, to, to support me in the world piece. And I'd love um, 
for you just to chat through that a little bit. It's been ten plus years now, I think, um, since you've um, since you initially founded Inspiring Capital, and it kind of says what it does on the tin. Um, so mm. it's a, not just a, not just a great and purposeful name, but an organisation that's done some incredible work. And um, I, my first question on that, actually, I suppose, is just around how you see how's the world changed in terms of this sort of um, juxtaposition between social impact and profit um and the fact that probably actually there have to be opposite ends of a spectrum um have you seen that change over the last 10 years and maybe what were some of the the things that you were able to do with inspiring capital on the me we world level that kind of um, brought those two things together yeah that's a great question i I would say you know i i agree and i love I mean, I think just the fact that you say, you know, we do, it says it on the tin is interesting because 10 years ago, um, and still to some extent, everyone thought I was a VC, right? Inspiring capital, capital with money, which I liked. I I liked the mistake because, of course, for us, it's always been human capital. Yeah. And, And I think just your framing of that question that it's obvious that that's what we do obviously we have a history and so you know that but but I I think that that is one really interesting change I mean the the thing I would say that um came first is uh just in the last two years this kind of explicit rejection of the Milton Friedman doctrine that a business's sole purpose is to maximize profit to shareholders um and so I think you know the 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 ending in name to some extent, right? Obviously we still see a very deep legacy of that um, in so many ways and systems, but you know, the fact that there's a special section in the New York Times on the 50th anniversary of that, where actually all the writers didn't declare it dead, um, but but just the raising of that, you know, the, the questioning of that and, and very credible, visible, powerful capitalist leaders saying, you know what, that's not, correct. Um, and actually, even at the time, he was pretty nichey. And it sort of got, you know, it sort of snowballed into this huge thing that has um, really taken us down some really nasty, I mean, therein lies our 1.5 Celsius degree temperature rise, really, you know, is that extractive approach to capitalism and, and not a longer term view of the other stakeholders like our planet who supports any shareholder profit that is to be if you're looking in a proper term. So anyway, I, I think that the conversation around stakeholder capitalism is incredibly more, it, it's, a, it's a conversation, which it wasn't, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, not that some people weren't doing it. This is, this is work that a lot of people have been doing for a long time, but it was very niche and, and now, you know, it's, it's quite more mainstream. So that's exciting. Obviously the, entrepreneur change agent in me and is frustrated because I'm like okay great check <laughs> let's scratch that from the record and move on <laughs> like there and it's not moving that fast but so that's one thing and then I think the second thing that is even earlier and more nascent and and frankly was accelerated by COVID, it was already underway, is the rehumanizing of work and really getting back to this notion that work is can be a beautiful fundamental piece of human dignity and identity and well-being. And it was at one point, you know, and, and then the industrial era came, amazing technology, great, we have these machines, we have this automation, how great and powerful for reducing poverty, for increasing quality of life, like amazing. And then we made humans machines. Turns out 
we are not. And that's a terrible idea. (laughs) And so, again, I think COVID, George Floyd, and the racial awakening that that has very belatedly provoked, um, and and then economic uncertainty and, and divide, widening, all of that has just made any smart leader of any business in any industry realize like, oh, these humans are what matter, you know, and and they're the competitive, you know, at this point, maybe you have a better coder or a worse coder, you know, or you have a slightly faster processor or more chips or whatever. But ultimately, the differentiator now going forward is people, you know, tech is all totally commoditized, cash, finance to build your business, totally commoditized. Um, but if you don't have the right people with the right drive and alignment and inspiration to do what you need them to do, good luck. Yeah, and um, I mean, I always smile. I say I always. Smile. I'm smiling a lot when you're talking because it's um, it's it's reinforcing a lot of the work that we do and the reason that you know that I've jumped ship yet again and set up something um, uh, you know purpose fused and that um, it's all, it is all about people, right? And everybody says that you know, people are your greatest asset and people have been saying that forever, but the reality is it's actually is, it's the right people, you know, doing the right things in the right way that believe in the same things and, and can all bring um, a different perspective and skill set and complement each other on, on getting to that, that same place. And, mm. um, and so the, the answer to the, the next question is <laughs> kind of, well, if purpose lives with the people in the mm. organization when I feel like it's historically um, probably more been become popular through marketing, um, primarily around brands and consumers, and I, and I understand why. Yeah. One of the things that was one of the biggest chips on my shoulder I had when I was on the other side of the fence, on the non-profit side, when you'd hear brands saying something but actually not necessarily delivering on it. And so the question I have in this in this world where work should be about dignity and identity and well-being and that uh, purpose should be something that's very much uh, a, a glue for humans to to support each other and be the best version of themselves how do you bring that to life in an organization how do you bring how do you bring purpose uh, purpose to life as a leader yeah you know look I, I really i think it goes back to this like simple not easy i think you ask yeah. You ask humans, what are you here for? You know, I mean, really, that was essentially the nugget of, you know, that that discovery and that research that we did with that team at American Express. That's essentially what we were asking. Right. And and we have ways to make it less intimidating. I, you know, I talk about purpose pressure. Right. And you, you can just see no matter who it is, it can be, you know, I forget which CEO it was, but CEO of a mega B Corp, like very purpose driven, whatever. And I'm like, so how do you think about your purpose? And he was like, Oh, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I'm like, for you, is it? Like, okay, you know. So anyway, so I think there's the sense of purpose pressure, and we try to really bring that down and, and lighten that up. And and so we have other questions, right? Who are what? Why are you excited on Monday mornings? Why aren't you excited on Monday mornings? Who did you know? Who did you last go to lunch with? Like, we we have other ways to kind of get at it so people don't shut down. But just in the interview process, in your job description talking about we're looking for someone who cares about x yeah maybe you need a degree arguably for a lot of things we're learning you probably don't 
but whatever, you know, you can get your technical specs in where it is. But if you talk in the job description, we want someone who cares deeply about clean, organized, analyzable data to, to help run our company. There are people who care really deeply about that, Yeah, you know, and, and maybe because it's a healthcare company or because it's a green building company, but maybe just because they care about using their, like, you know, their quantitative skills and, and working in that way. And then in the interview process, asking, and then in onboarding, and then in your one-on-ones, and then at the office happy hour, you know, just, hey, what, so what do you care about? You know, or, or borrow your magic moments question. What, you know, what, tell me, what was, what's a magic moment been for you and from your child, from before you were 18? Or I, I just think, and I, you know, I, I think some of this, again, has come out of that industrial and that very kind of American political correctness. Um, and, and look, you know, we, we all need to be more empathetic and respectful and, and conscious of difference. So I don't, I don't battle that at all, but it's conscious of difference. It's not, we're all the same and I'm going to act as such. We're not. And that, again, that's the beauty, right? And, and so I think just helping people get comfortable it starts with the me, helping people, you know, helping managers, helping leaders. When you become a manager, you need to be guided to do some of this work, you know, and supported and invested so that you know what it feels like. And then you can feel comfortable to ask a teammate, you know, hey, uh, you know, I've been thinking about my purpose and why I'm here. I, I came up with these few magic moments. Here's one. Would you feel, you know, what's one of yours? Would you feel comfortable sharing that? Um so, you know, we, as do you, we have content for days, for months on difficult conversations and leading with purpose as a new manager and radical, you know, all the kind of technical things. But like, ultimately, the goal is just to get people comfortable asking themselves the question so that they feel comfortable asking other people the question. So it's part of the conversation. Yeah, 100%. And I, I do really appreciate um you know the simplification of these things because um and i've said it so many times obviously in, in these podcasts alone but just the, the organizations are complex and even though a lot of things are commoditized um knowledge technology so on and so forth um at the end of the day it doesn't mean by simplifying something it makes it easy um but starting just with asking and just remembering that and keeping it front of mind everyone can remember and everyone can learn how to ask some meaningful questions to help people dig a little bit more into what it is that drives them and how they can be the best version of themselves and how can they be able to support it and different perspectives on doing that. Um, and as long as then you listen and then you act on it um, to provide some support, then you've got a very simple kind of uh, three-dimensional cycle that, that if everybody does that, if everybody's asking, listening, supporting, then actually it may, it can make an incredible amount of difference um, yeah. to, to, to how you perform. Um, I think so, the important... Um, foundation right it, it really can go a bit to the maslov hierarchy because the other piece that's really important that that should not be left out is basic well-being right and so wages and health care and child care provisions right like companies absolutely need to be providing for that basic level of just safety essentially right so that these conversations can happen so i i don't want to make light of the fact that you know i am not very interested in that question if i'm worried about a sick kid home or losing my job because i'm home with said sick kid 
No, 100%. And I think that's like comparing the beginning of COVID to maybe, you know, halfway through or where we're at now, where now it's been a lot about reflection and wanting to become a better version of ourselves as a company and supporting our employees and making work more human. But at the time, you're in survival mode and you've just got to get through it. Um, so, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Um, and I, I can't believe we're nearly out of time, actually. This I know. is a little bit better, about it. <laughs> Because um, I've actually got so many more questions I want to ask. So we might have to do a, a follow-up nearer to um, Laundryville book. But 77, as long as I'm still a lucky seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we just, it, it, it won't be at 70 by then, but um, we'll make it, you know. 17, it, 17. Um, so, um, yeah, so I guess my, um, the last question that I have to ask, um, because we, we always end with this and it's going to be a really awesome one for you um, because of, you know, the nature of the experiences and the career you've had um, is digging into the, those, those components of purpose around um, your passion, um, the impact that, that you've had on the world from a kind of a me world level um, and, and, and how you put that into practice. Um, so whether it's, Know, your purpose statement, which you're welcome to share if you have um, have one you'd like to share, um, or just breaking it down into those three areas. Um, if you were to, to describe now in three words or three sentences around passion, um, impact and application, what words, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, it's a it's a great framework. I really like that equation. Um, so my purpose statement does indeed link to what I had jotted down in our prep notes for passion. And that is that I lovingly wrangle ideas and people to make work purposeful for all of us. Um, I ride horses and have grown up doing that. And so I have this kind of cowgirl uh, alter ego, um, the inspiring cowgirl specifically is my is my LinkedIn kind of bio. But, you know, my passion really is around connecting ideas and people to improve outcomes. Like it's it's pretty, you know, look, I did 10 years of nonprofit work that was very direct service, like knowing the refugee mothers in our community and knowing their four-year-olds and knowing their nightmare patterns and suicidal ideations and, and developing programs with a social worker to help them get better, right? Like very visceral and frontline. It was incredible. It was exhausting and heartrending. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't. It, it didn't feel as satisfying and as purposeful to me um, because I, I really have the sense of like I'm, I'm a nerd. I like to like optimize things, <laughs> much to the dismay of my husband and friends. Sometimes, you know, I, I can't not optimize whatever it may be. And so um, that really is my purpose is, is connecting ideas and people from different places and disciplines and times and geographies to make X better, whatever X might be. The application in this long chapter of my life, and, and I think for a while more, it's about making work healthier and fairer and more inspiring, you know, so, so more pur purposeful ultimately. And the impact that I see from that, you know, um, are the, I, we call them authentic ahas, you know, which we got from a partner um, at Kraft Heinz, who's a brilliant leadership development person. And, uh, you know, and, and seeing these authentic ahas in a workshop or in a leadership team retreat that I'm facilitating, or in an email back to a Forbes article that someone's like, hey, I, you know, want to hear more, or in an audience of a keynote or over Zoom, a little bit hard, but um, just seeing those little sparks, you know, and, I often don't see what happens down the road. I, I don't know what happens on that person's team the next day or the next month. You know, I mean, 
we have some longer term relationships and I, I hear some glowing feedback. I, I don't get to hear or see it all. But when I'm in that great place and connected to that fire or star of, of you know, the universe, I know that that's really powerful and that that's really impactful to, to pass some part of that on to other folks. Um, so it, it takes it takes a little bit of that faith or that um, extrapolation to imagine how it's playing out in that more direct impact way. But for me, this level of, of change is, is really, really satisfying. Yeah, well, I, no, thanks for sharing that, because I I just really I love the um, analogy on just igniting sparks and uh, just, just the little the little sparks all over the place from obviously um, that you've been able to to amplify and scale um, through the application of your work and um, and the book's going to take that to a whole another mm. level um, which I'm you know I've already signed up for, for what I can sign up for at this point um, <laughs> and, and yeah very much looking forward to to reading it and, and staying in contact in between now and then um but for everybody else here um where uh, we'll put this in the bio as well and in the notes but where where um where's a good place for people to find you online if they want to learn a little bit more about inspiring capital or, uh, or about your book yeah so certainly linkedin is is the channel where i'm kind of day-to-day most active and and plugged in and so starting to drip coordinating with the publisher to drip like advanced content and pieces of the book already now um so that's a great spot and really invite uh, engagement on that it's it's really fun to see the conversation picking up questions or comments or experience um, and then secondly nellderekdebevoise.com has a sign up to get that free yay gift free excerpt of the book when it's available uh, this fall um, and and you can pre-order either the paperback or ebook uh, for for when it's actually out in February. Um, so th- those are the two best references. Inspiringcapital.ly is um, under a bit of a rehaul. So um, by September um, there should be clear information about all of this that we're doing. But in the meantime, find me on LinkedIn if you're curious for more. Magic. Well, we will put all the hooks and handles and links um, in the notes um, when this goes live. Um, but now just. Um, Thanks so much for um, sharing your time with us. I, you've been incredibly busy kind of being on the other side of, of these conversations. Um, so I, I appreciate your patience um, with me and you can uh, you can give me a review afterwards and teach me some better questions to ask. But um, these but, are great. I loved it. Uh, I just love. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, really appreciate the fact that you've been um, so in depth in um, in the academic side of this from a very early uh, early stage and then being able to bring it to life through Inspiring Capital and now, you know, again with the book as well um, and for you sharing some of your personal experiences and, and everything else um, to ignite these sparks uh, everywhere. Um, you know, thanks again. Really appreciate your time and um, we'll look forward to speaking again soon. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you. It was a delight. Okay, cheers now. Talk soon. Bye.